Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to once again thank all my listeners from around the world. We are now in 51 different countries. And what that tells me every single day is that people need a message of hope. No matter where we are in any part of the world, we are looking for hope because the world around us seems to be crashing at a very rapid speed. And there are so many people that we know who are hopeless. And so we offer this program with people who have overcome insurmountable circumstances in their own lives where their lives seemed hopeless and yet found strength and joy and will want to share those tools with our listeners. So I thank you. And I also thank all my listeners who, of course, leave reviews and feedback And five-star ratings, because that is what's making this show a success. And I'm so appreciative of all your input. Thank you. With me today is Dana Goodman. She is a published author, a grief counselor, and an inspirational speaker. Her memoir is entitled, In the Cleft, Joy Comes in the Morning. And mourning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Her memoir won top novel at the Wild Sound Writing Festival. And I know any of you who are going to read this are going to be encouraged. You're going to cry. You're going to laugh. And you're going to find hope. Dana lost her husband her son, and her mother-in-law to cancer. And from what I understand, this was pretty well in the same time frame. Most of us have enough difficulty dealing with losing one loved one, but to lose three must have just been what appeared to be insurmountable. And yet, she did overcome the grief. And this is what she's going to share with us, and also in her book. There were a time in her life when she thought the grieving season was so intense that she didn't know if she would ever see light or feel light or love again. So buckle your seatbelts because we are in for a real treat today with this incredible story from this young woman. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. Now, I am sure that you have heard the saying, no parent should have to bury their child. Can you walk us through that time in your life of when you had to do that and what 
what prepared you um, as far as were the doctors giving you hope? Did you have no hope? Did you, were you sure that he was going to die? You know, what's all the emotions that you went through after the diagnosis of your son? And how old was he? Uh, when uh, my son's name was Zach, and he Zach was thirteen years old when when he died. Uh, the as you mentioned, my first husband died uh, in two thousand and two of a histiocytoma, which is a rare soft tissue sarcoma, and and I did get remarried after that. And um, it the the hard part about my son. Well, there's so many hard things, but my second husband and my son were diagnosed the same week. And so uh, we were at Children's Hospital, uh, and they were doing biopsy of Zach's tumor. He had a brain tumor called glioblastoma multiform. And they were doing biopsies and what have you down there. And while we were there, Kamloops called to say my my husband had uh, a cancer called squamous cell carcinoma. And uh, so it, the, it was so difficult because the glioblastoma that my son was diagnosed with is a really rare to be diagnosed in a child. It's quite common in brain tumors for adults, but not for children. And so everybody was shocked. Um, oftentimes, children's tumors are um, curable, uh, but this one is really rare and very aggressive. And so... At the time, they they gave us ten months for Zach to. Live. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and then um, also my husband's chemo treatments were horrible, and so I was trying to take care of him and trying to take care of my son, and then my other little guy, who at the time was in grade five, and so it was just awful. And then within that period is when my mother-in-law was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And it's actually uh, it's called Lee Fermini syndrome. Uh, is 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 what this is called, and it's a chromosomal problem in one of the genes, and so that's why it's being passed down through the. Mind. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, it's really rare, really, really, really rare. Like I think there's been 200 diagnoses or something with with Lee Fermini syndrome. And so it's not uncommon that it would have come from your mother-in-law to your son, yeah, and then to your. It just feels unfair. I mean, it right. it's, it still doesn't feel fair, right? You lose half, oh, like over half of your family, and uh, and 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 my second husband. I mean, he's not even a part of that chromosomal thing. This is just something that just randomly happened at exactly the same time, and so it's just. I mean, it's that your color. second husband. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My first husband died in two thousand and two, uh, and and then my. My second husband and my son were diagnosed at the same time. And did he have the same gene? Like, was it a genetic thing as well? No, it was just random, just very coincidental. Like, even the radiologists and chemo and the oncologists were like, we've never even heard of this happening before. And so it was, it, it's just, I mean, that kind of tsunami coming on you, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. No. No. And so... Um, and I, I guess the dilemma, the hardest part for me was I had seen my first husband suffer so much with chemo and radiation. And when they told me Zach had six months to live, I thought, you know, what's the point of doing radiation and chemo? Aww. And so there's there's a lot of guilt that is put on you by to do these treatments when, in fact, these treatments can interfere with your quality of life and 
and yet somehow you get talked into doing these treatments even when there seems to be no real uh, why. I mean, why why would you put people through this? And yet somehow I ended up looped into that again. And, and there is still some regret about following that pathway, but you do everything you can and, and you, you're just holding on to to whatever you can in hopes that something is going to change. Let's talk a little bit about what your son was going through. Not so much physically, but emotionally. And and I'm assuming he probably was a strength for you because kids have a way of doing that. Oh, I think, yeah, I mean, he was a strength for everybody. Um, he, I remember I was in my garden when the doctor called to say, you know, the biopsies come in and, and your son has this rare tumor. And I remember coming in from out of the house and he was playing Lego. And I remember looking at him playing going, oh my goodness, like I have to tell him this news and this is the last time that I'm ever gonna see him play without the heaviness of this being being put on him. And so um, I came in and I'm like, there's no easy way. And I really think that kids, kids need to be um, told the truth. I, I'm a firm believer in that. They need to know exactly what's going on and they can handle more than you can think. Um, but I came in and I said, Zach, you've got cancer. And I remember this so vividly. He said, am I going to die? And I said, well, you know, the doctors have given you six months, um, but they're doing everything they can. And he looked at me and he said, do you mean I have, I have six months to live? Oh, and I said yes. Like you've got six months to live, and I remember that just being such a childlike way. Of, yes, of looking at that situation. Not I've, I've, I'm missing the rest of my life. I mean, I'm sure those thoughts came to him as well. But it was, you know, what I have six months um, to live. But he was, he was really afraid, and I remember praying with him. I said, we have to pray that that God will take away your fear, and honestly, like it was, it was like God just. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't have fear. He did. But God just pulled something off of him so that he was able to cope and just be a kid. Like, we were going skiing, and, and we were just continuing on the best we could with our life. And and uh, he would he loved sushi. We'd go out for sushi, and he'd go to school, and his friends would have, have little parties for him and stuff. So he really continued to live in spite of his diagnosis, which which is amazing. Absolutely. And looking at him, I'm sure it helped you. It, I mean, it, it, it helped me, but it also grieved me, right? I mean, he because it was a brain tumor, he, it, over a period of time, like his personality started to change. Uh. Um, he had, um, he started speaking in different accents and doing different different really bizarre kind of things sometimes and so it was almost like watching your child die little by little and so even though he had that spark in his eye I mean you couldn't kill that uh but it was just hard to see um your child gradually just getting sicker and sicker um the weird the strange thing was that the tumor it was really rare that this happens but the tumor was inside um the skull and I guess when they did the surgery, it dropped, something happened, and the tumor ended up on the outside of the skull, like a piece dropped in. 
And so that's probably not the medical way of right. describing that. But the, the tumor started to grow really quickly on the outside. And so it was like he had, to, almost like he had two heads. It was huge. And we would go places. And, you know, I remember we were in Booster Juice one time. And this, and this girl said, what happened? And he said, oh, um, I have a tumor. And, and he just said it so matter-of-factly. And yet... He would go out, he wasn't ashamed to go out in public and talk to people and just be who he was. And, I mean, part of that might have been where the tumor was situated, but he just really inspired people. And, and our family has a strong faith in Jesus. And and honestly, like, I, I people would look at him and I'm like, the reason they're so gravitating to him is because they can see Jesus in him. Um, and, and the love and the kindness and the compassion that he had, it was beautiful. And he continues to inspire people. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons uh, for the book, I'm sure, as well, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. But that inspiration will carry through. Absolutely. And and uh, on, the, on, the, on the outside of my book, it's um, a dandelion with seeds that are floating away. And to me, I, when I was thinking about what the picture would be on my book, I was thinking that's what this story is, is that, you know, not many people want to be the, the ones tilling the soil for the others in pain behind them coming through so that somehow maybe you can pave a way for them that, that they can draft off of you kind of like in a bike race. Mm. They can, you can you hit, have the elements hitting you and, and, and coming at you hard. And yet people are coming in and they're drafting and they're able to find hope seeds, right, from your story. They're able (laughs) to find a way through pain and suffering that they otherwise might not be able to find a way through. And so the seeds are the harvest that's coming as a result of the pain stories. And I think suffering, I mean, you look at Jesus suffering on the cross. That was the catalyst for the greatest hope story the world's ever known. And so in, in, in our own suffering, we become actually a part of that where where our suffering becomes a catalyst for a tsunami of hope and 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 love and compassion to be birthed out of the most painful seasons in our lives. I like that term hope seeds because that's something we all can plant. Yeah, exactly. And it's a choice. That's right. That's right. So your husband now, you you're you're going through this with your son. Mm-hmm. And your husband is diagnosed. And you are trying to take care of him. So walk us through that. Tell us um, how you handled that. It was really messy how I handled that, actually. Like, it's, there's, no, uh, there's no clean way, I don't even think, to deal with that. I mean, your emotions are so raw, and there's a lot of anger and frustration. And it's, it, I think when a family goes through suffering, it brings out the best in the family, and it also brings out the mm. best in the family. And... And so he was incapacitated a lot of the time. He was on a feeding tube because he was so sick. And and we were having to, to put stuff into that tube. And it would get clogged. And then the kids would be fighting. And it was just like this real messy situation. I mean, there's a whole pile of love in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's just you're barely hanging on. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. And, and most of the time you're not even praying because you're too you know ticked off with the situation and with God to even at that time be able to 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 form prayers or if you are saying a prayer it's pretty uh 
pretty gritty at best. So, yeah, it was really, really, really hard. What kind of support system did you have around you? Um, we had, uh, I had a blog at the time um, with CaringBridge. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a blog for people that, that can go on and keep other people updated about what's going on in the situation. Because when, when you're so overwhelmed, having people phoning you all the time is completely exhausting. Mm. So. We, we had this blog where I would update people on what was happening, and that's how we communicated. And, and people were amazing on that blog. They would come and they would, they would, they would write uh, prayers out for us or just, just encourage us. So I think we ended up with 45,000 people on our visiting that site and just leaving words of encouragement, which was incredible. And that helped, didn't it? I mean, in a very small way, but just knowing that you're not alone, that you have that support. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, um, like, it, it, it talks about the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And it was almost like people, right, they would, they would, they were doing that for us. They were reaching up and grabbing a hold of, of, of what we needed and, and being able to drop off food. They had a schedule laid out for us where people would bring food for us every day. We didn't have to cook ever. And your mother-in-law, how did she cope with what was going on with now her son and grandson? Uh, more, her, her name is Maureen, and, and Maureen's a bright light. I mean, she was just an amazing woman, and and she she just loved. I mean, <laughs> Maureen could just heal people just by looking at them <laughs> with with her love, and so she was really loving, very sad, and going through her own her own her own journey as well, and. Uh, but she would, the kids would come over and she'd bake cookies with them and she just kept things really normal. Now, just fast forward for a moment. When your present husband was diagnosed, how did you handle that? Um, I think there's uh, his, yeah, my second husband, his name is Doug. And I think Doug, uh, Doug, was shocked. I mean, everyone was shocked. You're just shocked, and and there's a there's almost like this grace period where there's a, a an anesthetic comes over you, and it's almost like you numb out. So mm. you don't you don't really it's all it's all it's dysfunctional in a way, but it, but highly needed. And so there need to needed to be a numbing period. Like it's almost like you go into a frozen mode just so you can get the things done you need to get done. And so. Um, I, I think he was terrified. I think he was, my husband is a real servant. He loves to serve. He loves to take care of his family. He's a very amazing provider. And I think for him, it was so sad for him that he was just out. He couldn't help me. He couldn't help. He was just out. And so it was really hard for him. He felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, I think, around that. And uh, just helpless, right, to, to be able to do anything to change the situation. And men like to solve things, and, and he wasn't able to solve it. And it was just, he went into a really, really anxious. He was very, very anxious. Were you able to help him through that? As best I could. I mean, you're trying to deal with your own, you're emotionally tanked. Like, yes, I can only imagine. No, I can't imagine. Yeah, you're on empty. So you do, I did the best I could, right? And that's sometimes the best you can do is all you can do. And so uh, I did the best I could to help him through that. But his family came in and supported and loved him. And, and I loved him the best I could. And Zach, <laughs> my kids loved him. And so, yeah, he, he, he did feel supported in the middle of it all, I think. 
Now, you mentioned on your website and also just uh, recently in this interview that you were pretty angry at God. So how did you deal with that? And there are a lot of people who get angry at God for a lot less reasons, if you could, you know, than what you went through. And knowing that it isn't fair and that life isn't fair and why did this happen to you and how how did he allow this to happen? Can you address that at all and how you got through that part? I think just being real, right? Like, like uh, lamentation, I... I it's the only prayer that we do here on earth that we will never do in heaven. And, and when we're, when we're angry at God and we're pouring it out and it's, he calls that prayer. He's like that. I see that as prayer. It doesn't offend me. It doesn't upset me. It's really honest and it's raw and it's real. And he comes through the anger and through that tumult, he comes through that and he does it. He, he changes it into something else. It's what he does. He changes ugly to beauty. Uh-huh. And so, so he, he, he did that, right? He, I remember having this moment with him and I said, where were you when my boy is in the hospital and having this done, this, this craniotomy, Zach had to get two craniotomies done. And it's uh, the craniotomy is when they take the bone flap out and they go right into the brain and they have to debulk the tumor and pull it out. And it's a very uh, aggressive surgery and, and I said to God, I said, where, where were you when that was happening? And I felt him say, when I cried tears in Gethsemane, when I cried those tears, that is exactly how I felt when this was happening to your boy. And so for me, that changed everything. It's like he, he comes to us and he feels what we feel. He endures what we endure. He cries what we cry. And, and I'm like, if, if, if he can be here with me in this ugly pain, then I know I'm going to be okay. That he will walk, he will walk through the storm until the storm calms. It's just who he is. He never leaves you. And so that's that's who he was for me. And you held on to that in in low moments. Yeah, I mean, in the cleft, uh, the title of my book, in the cleft is is the resting place where I felt God will pull me into and restore me. Um, and clefts are places where in the winter birds go to get away from predators to get out of the storm to find safety and so I call it the well-worn path to the cleft where I would keep going there in my lowest places and my ugliest places and God would restore me enough so I could put one foot in front of the other. So tell us about your book how it was birthed Um, the name is really really good and I like the way you change the uh, joy comes in the morning, spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, which has a tremendous impact if you think about it, because it's what it's saying to me, and you correct me if I'm not correct, no matter what we're going through, we can have joy. And going through that morning brings joy, which a lot of people don't understand. So can you address that? Yeah, I mean think we associate joy so much of the time with with having everything lined up properly and having what we what we want and but joy is like a deeper knowing that you are rooted uh so strongly rooted in god that if a storm comes you're not going to be crushed or destroyed you're you're going to be held in that place and so the joy coming in the morning um i really think that that the joy comes to actually feeling your pain, 
not judging your pain, not trying to get over it quickly, but actually just honoring your pain and, and staying in that place of pain and walking it out with Jesus, that wilderness season of pain. And at the other side, I mean, he says, when you walk through the Valley of Baca, which is the Valley of Weeping, I will create pools for you to rest in along the way until you find your way back to the promised land, right? And I feel like as I grieved in that morning, in that wilderness season, he would create those pools where I could just come and his love would sustain. And, and, then, and then you start to see that there's a greater story being woven together. You start to see, you know what, I actually think my ministry is coming out of this pain. I actually think that, that my pain has now become the very thing that's defining my destiny. And so if we allow um, our pain to be God to, to take it and, and make it into something beautiful, uh, it becomes the thing that, that makes us who we were always created to be in a sense. And, and the joy comes in knowing I'm going to see him again. I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to, to, to be with him forever. And we're going to talk about life and we're going to share moments together that this life here is just a breath and, and that we get to make up for lost time in heaven. I actually think I'm going to get to watch him grow up in heaven. <laughs> Which, because that's who God is, right? He's like, he says, I'll return to you the years the locusts have stolen. And not only will I return them to you, I'll give you a double blessing. And so you, you just don't know what's going on. So you have something to look forward to in spite of it. Yes, yeah. And so that explains the title of your book. How did you decide, like, to write it, basically, like, to... Um, was, was it to inspire others? Was it just to, um, you know, leave a legacy of your story or, or what was it? I think it's a, there's grief. When grief stays in your body, it becomes very toxic and dysfunctional. And in order for grief to be healed, it actually needs to be shared and it needs to be put out there. So it's like the, your body's a container, but it needs to be shared in order to have healing. So I think writing it for me, Part of that was going through and the, the ruined places and the, the, the hard places and, and moving through that and processing that as I wrote the book. And then God asked me to write the book. He's like, well, you, will you turn your pain into something else? I mean, he invite that invitation and you can't say no because you, you know he's calling you to do something with your pain. And so it was written to inspire people. It was written, I wanted it to be like a warm blanket for people where they could just curl up in it and, and be able to find uh, the warmth of God's love, the warmth of, of hope, all of that, to be warmed. And, um, and yeah, it just I just felt like, I mean, I'd read so many authors like Anne Voskamp and... Um, C.S. Lewis and different people who are really willing to to put themselves out there in vulnerability and I, I knew how much that helped me and I thought you know what mm. my story is original it's my story and I want my story to be a help to be like a to a, a lighthouse for people and has it been it has I think it has yeah I'm um, what I found though is people would get to the end of it and it would trigger their grief or unresolved grief and things. So I'm actually in the process right now of putting together writing the the companion guide to this, which is uh, it'll be a 40 day grief healing book that people can 
can go into and, and process and uh, their own pain. What a great idea. That's excellent. And you're in the middle of doing this now, or is it? I'm in the middle of doing it now. It's called In the Cleft Pathway to Healing. Um, and then I'm actually also writing a children's book right now called uh, uh, Jillian's Super, uh, Superpower, The Gift of Sensitivity. So a, a children's book on children who have high sensitivity as well. So I've got two little projects on the go right now. Now the children's book, is that dealing with loss? It's dealing with, uh, in a sense, uh, because it's high sensitivity, right? So they kids with high sensitivity, they pick up on everything and they carry everything as their burden and and so it's helping them to process their pain and and the challenges of day-to-day life so in a way okay okay now you are also a grief counselor now is this something that you wanted to do before you went through all this or did this come as a result of what you went through or a result of your book I was a counselor before I went through all of this. Uh, I used to be a teacher, and I found that I I wasn't able to help individually help them as much as I wanted to. So I wanted to do some one-on-one counseling and went back to school and then and then got my master's. And then I think the grief, my, my love for helping people work through their grief was born out of my story and my situation. So I think that's what led to the more of a specialized uh, grief counseling. Excellent. And I'm sure you've been able to help a lot of people um, work through these issues. Well, I think, I think so because you're, you're not an intellectual telling people how to deal Mm -hmm. with grief. You're a, you're a, you're a safe harbor, right? You've walked that. That's right. And not that you overlay your story onto theirs, but at least they can come knowing they're understood. It's an empathy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, how have these experiences that you've gone through changed you as a person? You know, when you look back and you see who you were and you see who you are today, how have you changed? I think the biggest way that I've changed is I just have uh, a passion to to love people. Uh, it's created a, like a space, a deeper space for compassion um, one of the things, one of my dreams is to one day uh, be a grief counselor for children who have been child soldiers of war or something like that. And to be able to to go and restore and renew. And um, so it's just, I think I, ha- I, I have a desire to be a world changer. Uh, I never really, I always thought, wondered what, what God was going to do with my life. But now it's like, no my life's mission is to impact people with with love and with God's kindness and to bring hope. So it's like you're a vessel of hope. To say you were inspiring is an understatement because here you are, someone who has gone through so much and you are not wallowing in self-pity, which many people choose to do. Mm-hmm. And you are fi- not only finding your own joy, but finding ways to help people through their grief. Mm -hmm. And so you've taken, as you said, both here and on your website, you've taken that pain and turned it into joy. You've taken that ugliness and turned it into beauty. Mm -hmm. And we can all learn from that. Mm -hmm. What's in your future? Besides, you you did mention that um, you're finishing your two projects and you also want to... um, uh, 
do some more in the area of counseling. Is there anything else in particular that your your goals are? I I think I am at this time in my life. I feel like uh, it's been a bit of a an incubation period where God's kind of had me growing and healing and in a place of of really experiencing His love. I mean, after going through something like that, there needs to be a healing time and it can last as long as you need. Um, our, our culture says to get over grief quickly. And I'm, I'm so against that. It's like, if you need to stay, stay in bed for, for five months, then you can, right. You, there, you have permission to grieve as you grieve. And it's like the unfolding of a flower that it naturally will unfold. And we naturally know how to heal if we just allow the process to be the process. Like if you have a cut on your finger, you don't have to will it to heal. The cut heals. And if we if we allow ourselves to heal and give ourselves permission to take our time to not rush it, uh, that God will unfold the next season when the next season comes. And so I've been in that, that period now for a while, and now I feel like God is saying, I'm, I'm going to send you out. Um, Speaking, uh, being on tour speaking is one of my dreams. I would love to do that. Uh, going and working, um, like I said, in, in countries with children who've been soldiers of war and restoring. I mean, that's another dream I've had. So right now, God's just invited me to dream. And I think he's going to to breathe on those seeds and they will, they will come to fruition. And I'm trusting him to do that. You are definitely a woman with goals and big <laughs> ones. <laughs> And that's good. And you know what you can accomplish just because of what you've done already and the strength that you have already. It's like, don't stop me now. I'm just going forward. So that is definitely not only motivating, but certainly inspiring. And we thank you for that. We thank you for sharing. I'm sure every time that you share, you know, it does bring back those memories. And you're a mother, you're a wife, you know, you went through something that none of us want to go through. You endured, you became stronger in some ways, and now you want to share what you learned. And my hat is off to you. We applaud you. We thank you. It has definitely been a pleasure to have you here. And we definitely want to know um, as things progress and your and your book, we will certainly have the one that you have out now. Um, in, in the, it's in the cleft, joy cometh in the morning or joy comes in the morning, but we also want to, um, be alerted when your next book comes out, the guide. Do you have a date for that yet? No, I don't. Okay. Well, that's fine. We'll stay in touch and possibly we can interview you again and hear more about what you're doing. Um, you've been stimulating. Let's, let's leave it at that, most definitely. And I thank you so very much for sharing that story with us today. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.